Our second reading tonight is Matthew 5:33 to 48, and it's found on page 889 of the Pew Bibles. Again, you have heard that it was said to our ancestors, you must not break your oath, but you must keep your oaths to the Lord. Hold on. But I tell you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven because it's God's throne, or by earth because it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem because it is the city of a great king. Neither should you swear by your head, because you cannot make a single hair black or white. But let your word yes be yes, and your no be no. Anything more than this is from the evil one. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, Turn the other to him also. As for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let him have your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who asks you and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Linda. Love to see you. Nice to see Kimberly as well. Welcome back. Um, we're in the Sermon on the Mount, and we've got these booklets called The Authentic Life. And that's what the Sermon is all about, living a life which is different and radical and real because you know and you love Jesus Christ. And if you remember my first sermon on this, uh, on this Sermon on the Mount, I said that C.S. Lewis was once accused of not caring for the Sermon on the Mount. And he said, if caring means liking or enjoying it, I suppose no one cares for the Sermon on the Mount. It's like no one cares being knocked over the head with a sledgehammer. And that is right, because what Jesus teaches in this sermon is so confronting. We're not supposed to sit here and feel comfortable. Uh, What Jesus is saying is that if you're claiming to be a follower of him, then our lives need to be radically different. And that's never comfortable, is it? Uh, The last words that were, were read by Linda tonight, verse 48, be perfect, Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Who feels comfortable about that? Living the perfect life. No flaws. And we're supposed to to read this sermon and go, I I can't do this. This is all all too hard. If you leave here tonight and you think, oh, I can do that, you've missed the point. We can't do it. We can never be perfect. 
But as Christians, we believe in a man who was perfect. His name was Jesus Christ. And as Christians, we just want to follow in his footsteps, recognizing we will fail, but longing and yearning just to be a little bit more like him. Because this sermon was not written to make us feel guilty. This sermon was, was written so that we'd actually delight in wanting to live God's way and live this authentic life. This, this sermon was not written so you could earn your salvation. This sermon is written so you can enjoy your Christian life. So you can leave here tonight thinking, I, I long to live that way because my life will be so much better and so much richer if I just lived a little bit more like Jesus. And tonight we're talking about relationships, radical relationships, because our lives are made up of relationships. Everybody here in this room has relationships. They're they're people that you like and people that you love and they're easy to relate to. And there are people in your lives that you relate to. It's just neutral. It's just sort of people you rub shoulders with, nothing against them, but you don't particularly like them. But there are people in our lives who the Bible calls enemies. And what it means by that is people who have hurt you, people who have harmed you, people who have wronged you, people who, you know, when their name is mentioned, something happens to you emotionally and you start to feel tense. And we've all got those people in our lives, haven't we, what we call enemies? I want to ask you right up front, who is that enemy in your life? You know, the person, when their name is mentioned, you know exactly where you were when they said that thing to you or they did that thing to you and everything within you just feels bitter and you seek revenge. And and Jesus is going to deal with that issue tonight. And it's not going to be comfortable. A lady called Corrie Tamboom could have had enemies, but she didn't. You know her story. She is the youngest of three children, born in 1892. She's actually the first female watchmaker. Uh, But what she's most famous for is the hiding place, which was a space about the size of a wardrobe where she and her family hid Jews, uh, protected the Jews during World War II. But she's also famous for for the concentration camps, particularly Ravensbrück, where she and her sister Betsy spent many years and they were star- they suffered starvation and rat infestation and violence and torture and abuse and yet she still trusted her God and by God's grace and by some clerical error she was released from that camp and she spent the rest of her days traveling the world telling people the good news about Jesus and the joy that she could have in Jesus and to keep trusting God no matter what the circumstances but what I love about Corrie Tamboom is that she's really a walking illustration of the Sermon on the Mount. She, she was a woman who was poor in spirit. She, she recognized she was a nobody with an amazing, gracious God. She was a peacemaker. She brought light to this world. She didn't retaliate. She did turn the other cheek. And she did love her enemies. And she prayed for those who persecuted her. You might know the most, probably the most famous episode, episode of her life where she was preaching one night on the topic of forgiveness. And she preached the most amazing sermon about how our God 
forgives people through Jesus Christ. And as forgiven people, he enables us to forgive other people. At the end of her sermon, this man walked towards her and she recognized him straight away as one of the prison guards who had beaten her and tortured her in that camp. And this man came up to her and said, how good it is to hear about forgiveness. I'm a Christian now. How good it is to hear that God has forgiven me and that you too will forgive me. And he put out his hand to shake Cora's hand. And she describes how she's just not able to shake his hand because she cannot forgive him. And the woman who's preaching about forgiveness cannot actually show forgiveness to others. And so she asks God. And she says this. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I hated that man. And then I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man Was I going to ask for any more than that? I prayed, Lord Jesus, forgive me and help me to forgive him. No, Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Please give me your forgiveness. And so I discovered it's not on our own forgiveness any more than our own goodness that the world's healing hinges. But on God's forgiveness and God's goodness. And here it is, when God tells us to love our enemies, he gives along with that command the love itself. And she explains how God equipped her and enabled her to to put out her own hand as a sign of forgiveness. And she describes how the tingle starts in her shoulders, goes down to her elbow, down to her fingers. And this flood of peace And release comes over her. And the burden of bitterness and the burden of anger and the burden of revenge have been lifted from her shoulders. And that's what happens when you do take Jesus at his word. It changes you. And you might be sitting here tonight, weighed down and burdened by bitterness and hurt and hatred. And Jesus wants to lift that burden from you. To give you freedom. To give you relief. It's not easy. But it's really worth it. So three things. Number one, tell the truth. In all your relationships, tell the truth. No lying. No half-truths. No lack of truth. Let your yes be yes and let your no be no. That's what verses 33 to 37 are all about. Uh, and I read these verses this week and I immediately thought, oh, that's so tough for Gen Y or the millennials. You know, they just, they're unreliable all the time and they lack of commitment. And I thought, no, no, it's every generation. All of us sitting in this room struggle with our words to keep our words. See, we live in a world where Words are deceptive and we live in a world of speculation and hyperbole and exaggeration and fake news. And we're very loose with our words, aren't we? We keep our word when it suits us best. But otherwise, who cares if I tell a short lie? Or we're not committed with our words. There is no yes or no. It's all sort of dancing around. Maybe, perhaps, if I feel like it. Or we embellish with our words, you know. 
the size of the fish I caught was this big and there were 400 people in church on Sunday night. And why do we do that? Why do we over-exaggerate everything? It's actually pride because it makes us feel good and big and important. Or we manipulate with our words. We tell the whole world on Facebook that we're feeling rotten just to get sympathy. And we speak half-truths and we leave important bits of information out. As one person said, there's an urgent truth shortage in our world and in our churches. Don't just long to be able to take someone at their word. Don't just long when someone says them to them that you believe that's actually what they're going to do. And that's what Jesus is getting at in all your relationships with your friends and your family, with those neutral relationships and with those that you struggle with. Just tell the truth. Jesus starts by alluding to different parts of the Old Testament in verse 33. He says, you mustn't break your oath, but you must keep your oath to the Lord. That is right. That's what it says in Exodus 20, verse 7, Leviticus 19, verse 12, Numbers 30, verse 2, Deuteronomy 23, verses 21 to 24. Uh, oaths or promises or vows, they can be a very good thing. But what the religious people did was this. They took that last, last three words, the oaths to the Lord. And they grabbed hold of those last three words, to the Lord, and they twisted it. And they basically said, look, if I make a promise, but I don't say to my God in that promise, then it's not binding. So I might say to you, I promise to come to dinner on Thursday night. But unless I said, I promise in the name of Jesus Christ, I don't have to keep my word. And it sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Kind of fingers crossed behind my back and you can't hold me to this. And it sounds ridiculous, but we do it all the time. We're always saying things that we actually never intend to keep. And the fact that we have to say those words, I swear by, you know, I swear by this and I swear by that and I swear by this. You're basically saying... uh, You can't really trust me just to say my words. You have to add the I swear by. Martin Lord-Jones said, if you need to take an oath, it's a pathetic confession of your own dishonesty. (laughs) Isn't that right? You become more suspicious of somebody when you have to say I swear by. And Jesus says in verse 34, actually don't take an oath at all. You shouldn't have to make a promise. You should just let your yes be yes and your no, no. Don't make a promise, verse 34, by heaven because heaven belongs to God or by earth because earth belongs to God or by Jerusalem because it's God's city or by your head because God actually uh, is in control of all your hairs on your head. Saying God is over everything and under everything and in everything and God sees everything. So why do you have to swear on God's name? Let your yes be yes, let your no be no. Tell the truth, keep your word. Can you imagine how different... Let's just start with the church. How different this church would be if whenever anyone said anything to them, it was the truth. And they would follow through on what they said they would do. That would be amazing, wouldn't it? No questioning, no doubting. And when someone told you something about another person, it wasn't half-truths and it wasn't lies and it wasn't slanders. It was just the truth. I think we can make a difference there in our relationships. We We would look so different from the world if everything we said was true. 
No superlatives, no half-truths, no lies, no exaggerations. Why? Because we're children of God. We are sons and daughters of God. And, and God our Father does not lie. And neither should we. So tell the truth. Number two, relinquish your rights. Get rid of all this feeling that you, oh, you, you need to have revenge or you need to be treated rightly and it's all about you. Now when someone's hurt you and when someone's insulted you, the natural response is to want to get even. Or maybe you're more subtle than that. Maybe you just hold the grudge. Give the cold shoulder. And Jesus quotes from Exodus 21 in verse 38. As you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for the tooth. A really famous phrase. Actually, a lot of our, our common law is built on that phrase. Eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. And it's kind of right. But what God was trying to do there in the Old Testament was to define justice and restrain revenge. Because revenge was rife in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, if someone wronged you, you made sure that you got even with them. And actually, you treated them even worse than they treated you. Now, if someone stole your pen at work, then you would steal their computer. And when they stole, you stole their computer, they'd come back and they'd smash you in the face. And when they smashed you in the face, you might actually take on their family and their whole household. And it just spirals and got worse and worse and worse and worse. And this, this eye for eye, tooth for tooth is supposed to restrain revenge. Be restrictive to prevent further violence. Then but Jesus says, actually, you shouldn't even need that. It's not about getting even. I tell you, he says, don't resist an evildoer. Literally, don't render evil for evil. The principle is accept injustice. Relinquish your rights. Revenge never works. You know that, don't you? You're never satisfied, you know, when you think you've got revenge. You're never satisfied. It was Martin Luther King who said that hate multiplies hate. And he's right. A descending spiral of violence and hatred and bitterness. And what Jesus said is so countercultural. He says, on the contrary, if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, it's kind of a backhanded slap, turn the other to him as well. Let me be very clear here. He is not talking here about physical violence. That phrase slaps you on the cheek. He's not, not condoning in any way any sort of domestic violence or physical violence. Jesus is not saying if you're a victim of physical abuse, to turn your other cheek and let them beat you some more. He's not saying that. This is a, a phrase, a common phrase, which basically meant if someone insults you, if someone slanders your reputation, don't seek revenge, but turn the other. Let him, let him just keep on slandering you. Don't, don't slide into his pit. Stick your head up and be gracious. Respond to insult with kindness. It's almost 10 years ago, it's over 10 years ago that somebody... I'm going to get personal here, slandered me, slandered my reputation and kind of made it their, their goal in life to paint me in a bad light and told a whole heap of lies. And everything within me 
wanted revenge. I was just lying in bed at night plotting what I could do. Maybe I could use this pulpit, take the microphone to, you know, to get my way. I didn't do any of that. Suffered in silence, apart from the two people I pray with every week who knew. And I, I found solace, I think, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, that says, He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. To know there's a God up there who sees everything and, and will bring justice. And I didn't need to actually fight for that. And the relief and the freedom it just brings where you don't need to enter this, this fighting match as to who said what and he said this and she said this and getting, your, getting even. What about when someone rips you off? Verse 40. If someone's taking you to court to sue you and they want to take your shirt or, or take some money off you, let him have his cloak as well. Give him more. Prepared to give away even more than they ask for. And again, I'll share a personal example. About seven years ago, Rachel and I lent a, a car to someone who just arrived in this country. They had it for a month. And they returned the car to us in a month and nothing was wrong. And then we got a bill from the RTA. And it was, figure this, almost $1,000 of road tolls. How do you do that in a month? How do you do that? It's not possible. <laughs> and everything within me wanted to go, make them pay. I'm never letting my car again to anybody else. And my wife just said, no, just, just pay the bill and give them a car again. In fact, you know, take our car and take other stuff as well. And that is liberating because you're not always seeking to get right with that person. What about if someone forces you to go one mile? This is a picture of the Roman soldiers who would get people to carry all their luggage for one mile. And Jesus says, well, don't be irritated and don't be insulted. Double the distance. Go two miles. Do it cheerfully. You know, when somebody has asked you to do something, you say, well, what else can I do for you? What more can I do for you? And it sounds crazy, this idea of, of saying, it's not about revenge, it's not about my rights, but how can I be gracious and how can I be kind to the other person? And it does sound crazy, but it really works. Because it frees you from this prison of always wanting to make sure that, that your rights have been met. Let me ask you, aren't you glad that, that Jesus is not fair with us? Because if Jesus was fair with us and always got even with us for all the ways that we have hurt him and offended him and ignored him and all the ways that we have just totally lived a life without him, if Jesus got even with us, then where would we be today? Jesus showed us grace. And mercy. And if we claim to be a child of his. We need to show other people grace and mercy as well. So tell the truth. Relinquish your rights. And then love without limits. Let me ask you who do you love? Who are you good at loving? I'm good at loving people that I like. I'm good at loving people who might love me back. I'm good at loving people who are easy to love. 
I'm good at loving people who might give me something. <laughs> Just be honest. But the person who's different, who's nothing like me, who is difficult, I find it really hard to love them. But what about the person who is called, verse 42, your enemy? What about the person who's hurt us, harmed us, slandered us? What about the person where everything within us wants to hate them? And Jesus says, love them. Love your enemies. Again, he's quoting from Leviticus 19 in verse 43. You've heard it said, love your neighbor. That's the bit in bold. It's not quite what Leviticus 19 says. Leviticus 19 says, love your neighbor as yourself. But the religious people, they drop off those last two words, as yourself, because that kind of lowers the standard a bit. Let's love only our neighbor, only the people who are like us. And then they add the second phrase, and hate your enemies. That's nowhere in the Bible. You can't find that anywhere in the Old Testament. It never tells you to hate your enemies. But the natural implication of it, if God wants us to love our neighbors, there'll be people there that we don't like. It's okay to hate them. Now, here's the problem. Who is Jesus referring to in that word neighbor? Love your neighbor. If you could just have a list of people who's our neighbor, then we could just tick the box. Tick, 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 tick. Remember the, the parable that Jesus told of the Good Samaritan? Remember that story? The man who's left half dead and two religious people, the priest, so the minister and the Levite, that's the worship leader. So the, the minister and the worship leader walk past, see the man in need, see his desperation, and they see it and they do nothing about it. And then the, the, the Samaritan walks past and he's the one who stops and shows compassion and kindness that is costly and extravagant and sacrificial. And Jesus is saying, it's not who is my neighbor. He says, go and be a neighbor. Whoever you come across in your life who's in need, be a neighbor to them and love them well. Jesus not say love people who you like or who who can pay you back. He says, love anybody who comes across your path. But love them with this crazy, limitless love. He says, don't hate your enemies, verse 44. Love your enemies. Let me be clear, that word love in verse 44, it doesn't mean a romantic love and it doesn't mean an emotional love. It means an agape love, a deliberate, disciplined, determined, costly love. And it is possible, you know, to, to love somebody without necessarily trusting them. If you've been badly hurt, if you've been harmed in any way, it's really quite difficult, you know, to sit with them face to face and to see them. I I don't think you need to do that. But in your heart, you need to have this big thing that says, I'm willing to love them. Why? Why should I love the person who's been so evil and nasty to me? Well, you love them like that because Jesus loved like that. So when Jesus went to the cross and his enemies whipped him and beat him and then nailed him to a cross. And what did Jesus pray? Father, get revenge on these evil men. (laughs) Father, I hate them. He said, Father, forgive them. 
More than that, we love them because of verse 45, because we might be sons or daughters of your Father in heaven. See, our God, according to verse 45, does not discriminate on who he is kind to. The sun shines and arises on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. God loves all people. And yet God loved us when we were his enemies, didn't he? That's what the Bible describes as we are enemies of God and God still loved us with an extraordinary selfless sacrificial kind of love. And if we're going to model what our God is, is like and what it means to be a child of God, we're, to, we're called to love like that. And we love like that because we're different from the world, verse 46. If you love those who love you, then you're just like the rest of the world. Please don't think that you are loving people well because you have a few friends that you like around your house for dinner and you have a nice, wonderful evening. That's not loving people well. Loving people well is a person who is so unlike you, who you spend time with and you care for and you invite them into your house. And it starts here in church on a Sunday night, you know, when that person walks to the door who is so different from us or different from you. They look different. They are different. And it starts not just by writing a name tag with a fake smile and then hoping somebody else in church can love them well. It starts by you sitting with them and listening and caring. But in many ways, that's the easy bit. Let's go back to that person who has so hurt you and harmed you. You know who they are. The person where you're sitting right now with his bitterness towards him in your heart. How are you going to love that person well? Notice how Jesus connected love with prayer. Did you spot that? Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You might not be able to meet them face to face. It might be wrong for you to meet them face to face. But you can pray for them. Oh, Paul, I can never pray for them, you say. I want to challenge you to do that. And again, I'll share a personal story. Many, many years ago now, somebody who harmed me and hurt me in a very deep, painful way. And the people I used to pray with said to me, Paul, you need to learn to forgive them. I said, I can't forgive them. You need to love them. I can't love them, I said. You need to pray for them. I can't pray for them, I said. And they said, oh, well, let me, or let us, pray for them on your behalf you have to <laughs> and they pray something like Lord you know how much Paul struggles with X and Lord please help him to forgive them and to love them and I'm going no I don't want to say amen to that and they kept on praying again and again and again help him to love that person well now here's what happened to my heart uh, that the hurt lifted the pain was relieved when, when I saw them face to face, I didn't walk out of the room any longer. I, I didn't make a beeline for them. I didn't sort of you know, be best buddies with them. But there was no anger towards them. And over time, God did change my heart over a long period of time. 
That's the power of prayer, isn't it? You, you, you might not be able to actually in action love them right now, but you can pray for them and trust the Spirit to, to work in your heart till you get to that stage where you're able to love them in action. That's what Koi Tenboom did, wasn't it? She prayed and the Lord equipped her to love. See, it's been said that to repay evil for good is devilish. To repay good for good is human. But to repay good for evil is divine. And we are called to be like our Heavenly Father. Be perfect, verse 48, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. And no, you can't do it, and I can't do it. But with God's help by His Spirit, we can learn to do it and be equipped to do it. Let me just finish with one more story. You might know a guy who's come into our church for the last few four weeks. He's come from Egypt as a kind of refugee. And over in Egypt, he became a Christian a few years ago. He was a Muslim, he became a Christian. And for that, he was beaten, he was persecuted, he was put into jail. His wife left him because he became a Christian. And he shares his story quite openly. I need to give permission to share this. As he's being beaten by the people in jail for being a Christian. I asked, how do, you, how do you respond to them? He said, oh, I love them. What do you mean you love them? He said, I don't know. I just, I, I just see the face of God. And I say, well, God loves them and he calls me to love them. I don't like what they're doing, but I, I need to show them something of God's love as they abuse me. What about your wife? I pray for her every day. And I pray that she'd have a good life. But most of all, I pray that she'd find Jesus. And if you meet this guy, he is the most joyful, peaceful, burden-free man. Because all his burdens have been taken in Christ. And he's a man who does live out, love your enemies and pray for them. I don't preach this sermon lightly, brothers and sisters. I know there's people here who are deeply, deeply wounding and hurting. All I'm saying to you is you take Jesus at his word and start to pray for people. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, you can learn to love them. Not for their sake, actually, but for yours. Please don't go through life carrying this burden of bitterness and hatred. Let Jesus take it for you. Let the, the, the load be lightened so that you can walk freely and joyfully with your God. I'm going to pray. Our Father, we need your help so much to love those who have hurt us, to pray for those who have harmed us. We need your help, Lord, to not always seek revenge. And with our tongues, Lord, we need your help just to always tell the truth. Lord, we need you to change us. And so I pray by your spirit you would do that in every person in this room tonight. In Jesus' name.